Honor the reading of the wonderful word of the Lord. Today we are looking in the book of Isaiah, chapter number 43. The book of Isaiah, chapter number 43 this morning. And we will begin reading with verse number 18. Isaiah chapter number 43 began reading with verse number 18. The word of God says, Do not remember the former things, nor consider the things of old. Behold, I will do a new thing, now it shall spring forth. Shall you not know it? I will even make a road in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. Let's look at verse 19 again. Behold, I will do a new thing, and it shall spring forth. Shall you not know it. Father, I thank you for the word of the Lord this morning. Father, I, I believe I have a word to share with, Lord, this uh, particular uh, group of people. Uh, and Father, I just pray today, Father, that you will help us today to deliver the word. Help us to have God today that you have for us. Let your anointing be upon us in a wonderful way today. For the glory of God, we ask in Jesus' name, all of God's people said, praise the Lord. And you read this morning. Well, at the end of every year, I start seeking the Lord for direction for the coming year. I start asking God in about October or, or November and, and through December, I start asking God for a theme or I ask God for a word or I ask God for uh, some kind of direction for the year that is just ahead. Sometimes I hear God speak, and then there are times when actually I have not heard God say anything at all. Sometimes God is very specific, and sometimes I just get a general idea. Well, this year I heard a word. I didn't hear many words, but I heard one word. And the word that I heard God speak to me for the coming year was the word change. The word change. I believe that 2010 will be a year for change at New Bethel. What does that mean, Pastor? What, what does it mean that 2010 is going to be a year for change? I, I don't really know for sure. God uh, didn't give me a list of things and say, these are the things that I want to see changed at New Bethel in the year 2010. God simply spoke a word to me, and that word was change. Seldom does God give me details when he speaks to me. Usually, he just gives me enough to get me started on the path that he wants me on. And, and then as I obey, and as I start out, and as I begin the journey, then, uh, oh, then he begins to lead me step by step by step. And as I step out in faith, and as I get on the path, and as I get in the direction that God wants me to go in, then God begins to unfold it, and then God begins to reveal it as we go along. Now, some of the upcoming change is obvious. It's very obvious. Our praise and worship is going to change. Uh, Pastor Carl has been our praise and worship leader now for the past seven years, and he's no longer with us. Uh, somebody is going to take his place, and whoever this person is, they're not going to be Carl. They're not going to be Carl. They're not going to look like Carl. They're not going to act like Carl. They're not going to do things the way that Carl did them. They're not Carl. And listen, it would not be fair for us to ask that person to be Carl. 
And if you want to, if you want to put somebody in a straitjacket, if you want to keep somebody from uh, uh, really excelling and doing awesome, and that is ask them to be somebody that they are not. They're not Carl. They're not going to be Carl. And it wouldn't be fair for us to ask them to be Carl. Hey, we didn't ask Carl to be somebody he wasn't. Change. Change is coming. Now think about it this way this morning. If God wanted things to stay the same at New Bethel, he simply would have left Pastor Carl here. He simply would have left him in place. But Pastor Carl stood up here and said that he believed that God was leading him in a new direction, that God was opening a new door for him, that God was taking him to a new place in his ministry, that God was leading him on a new path. Well, listen, if God had something new for Carl, then that means that God has something new planned for you and for me and for us as New Bethel because God always works on both ends of the line. There will be change coming in the praise and worship of New Bethel in the coming year. And there needs to be change in this area of our church. Look around you this morning. There's diversity in this house. There's actually more diversity in the second service than in the first. But there is diversity in this house. Not everybody who attends New Bethel is a middle class white person. We have white folk that come to New Bethel. We have black people. We have Hispanics. We have Asians. We have African people. I love it. Hey, man, this is just a little bit of taste of what heaven is going to be like. Arlington is a melting pot. It's diverse. We need to appeal to more than one type of people. We we need to become more diverse in our style of worship. Change is coming. Get ready for it. It needs to happen. It's the will of God and it's coming. Not only will there be change coming in the area of praise and worship, but there'll be more changes coming as well. You say, Pastor, what will those changes be? I I can honestly say this morning that I don't really know. God did not give me the details. He simply gave me the word, and the word was change. Now, I have some ideas, and I certainly am aware of some areas that need to change. And there's some things that I personally, on a personal preference, that I, that I would like to see change, and yet I have not prayed them through yet. And I learned a long, long time ago, many years ago, I learned that a God idea will work, a good idea will work you. So I'm not just looking for a good idea. I've got plenty of work to do. I'm not just looking for a good idea because it'll make you work. But a God idea will genuinely work. What are the changes that are going to happen and take place at New Bethel in the coming year? I'm not for sure what they are. But I believe that if God is leading, they're going to be incredible. and They're going to be awesome. They're going to be of God. And I want to embrace them this morning. Well, friend, if change is coming, then we need to begin to prepare for it. You know, if you just found out that a new baby was on the way in your family, you'd begin to make preparation for the arrival of that new baby. You would start shopping for a bassinet or a crib. You'd start fixing up the nursery. Uh, oh, you'd begin to buy bo- uh, bottles and diapers and formula. Uh, oh, the expectant mother would start eating better and getting more rest and taking better care of herself. You would prepare yourself because change would be coming to your house. 
If you were being transferred on your job to a new city, you would begin to prepare for the move. You, you would begin by fixing up your house and, and, and getting it ready to sell. You would meet with a realtor. You would take a trip to the city where you were moving to. and There you would look the city over and get familiar with the city and you'd look for a place to live. And you'd search out the schools and you'd search out the churches and, and, and the ladies would check out the shopping and the fellows would look for a good place to eat. You would begin to prepare because change would be coming in your life. And friend, if change is coming to New Bethel in 2010, we better get prepared. We better get prepared. Let me take a moment this morning, though, before we get into this this morning and just make something abundantly clear because I want you to know this morning, I want you to hear this this morning, and I want it to be abundantly clear that no matter what changes or what doesn't change at New Bethel in the coming year, let me tell you one thing that is never going to change as long as I remain your pastor, and that is I will continue to preach the uncompromising Word of God. I'm not going to back up, I'm not going to back down from preaching the infallible truths of the Word of God. So understand that this morning. When I'm talking about change, I'm not talking about changing the message. I'm not talking about watering down the message. I'm not talking about becoming politically correct. Amen. I was born too late for that. Or too soon, I guess. When I speak of change, I'm speaking about methods. I'm not talking about the message. I'm referring to the package that the message comes in. All right, let's talk about change for a little while this morning. I want to make an acrostic with this word change, C-H-A-N-G-E, 2010, a year for change. And for the letter C in this acrostic of the word change, I'm going to be using the word courage, courage, courage. How many understand this morning? It takes courage to change. It takes courage to change. It's easy to remain in our comfort zone. And most people live their entire lives in their comfort zone. (laughs) Uh, Most people do the following. They wear the same clothes. Wear the same clothes. Take the same route to work. Uh, Hang out with the same people. Go to the same restaurants. (laughs) Order the same thing. At the restaurant, amen. Go to bed at the same time or fall asleep in their chair at the same time every night. Wake up out of their chair at the same time every night. Go to the bathroom then crawl into bed. That's my routine. My wife said, when you go into prayer, I said, I'm going to do it just like I always do. I said, I'm going to sit here in my chair for a little while. I will go, go to sleep. I'll wake up. I'll need to go to the bathroom. When I get up to go to the bathroom, instead of coming to bed, I'm going to church to pray. And that was 2 o'clock this morning, last night. Amen. We're creatures of habit. Amen. We, we, we tell the same jokes. We complain about the same things. We feel comfortable with the familiar, even if the familiar isn't all that good. I'll never forget many, several years ago when my wife, uh, she began dating Sean. They became engaged. They, they, they got married. Uh, they moved to Midland. They became my son's youth pastors. They went, took the, uh, the teenagers to youth camp. At youth camp, my son-in-law met some people that he had never met before. One of them was the assistant district superintendent of West Texas, his daughter. 
And his daughter was just so excited and elated about Sean and Krista and just thought that Sean just hung the moon. And, 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 and one day after, after youth camp, she came home and she told her dad, she said, Dad, I just met, I just met Krista Benson. I just met her new husband. His name is Sean and he's awesome and he's incredible and all this. And, and, and so, and so the assistant district superintendent, he got to meet, uh, Sean as well. And, and, and so, if, uh, uh, sometime later they were talking again and, and his daughter was talking about how awesome and, and how incredible that Sean is, and, and you know Sean, you've seen him here, he's six foot three, weighs 63 pounds. <laughs> Hair sticks straight up, he's got his, well, got one of them spikes, or what, or no, one of them, uh, what are they called? Huh? No, anyway, I had it, I forgot, it don't matter. What do you call it, Steve? Huh? Uh, you don't know nothing, boy. Spikes. He has hair spiked. Didn't I say that to start with? Has hair spiked, okay? And I'm, you know, you don't think anything about this, but I'm talking about, you know, 10 years ago now, okay? 10 years ago now. And, and the assistant district uh, superintendent named Tom Lakey and, and, and his daughter was saying, oh man, said, said, man, uh, Chris's, uh, uh, husband, he's awesome. He's incredible. Dad, what do you, you've met him. What do you think about Sean? And Brother Lakey said, said, well, said he might be a nice guy, but he needs a new hairdo. Needs a new hairdo. His daughter said, Dad, you need a new hairdo. <laughs> Sean don't need a new hairdo. He's in style. Dad, Dad, you've been combing your hair this way. I'm 35 years old. I've never seen your hair any other way. Dad, Sean don't need a new hairdo. You need a new hairdo, Dad. I mean, understand it takes courage to break out of our comfort zone and change. I promise you that it wasn't comfortable for Abraham to leave his home country and go to a place where he wasn't even sure of where he was going. God simply told him to get up and move. And God said, I'll tell you and I'll show you where you're going. Just do it. Just get up and get started and get moving. Hey, that might sound exciting for somebody today in their $250,000 motorhome jet sitting all over the country. But in Abraham's day, people didn't move. They died on the same land they were born on. It took courage for Abraham to change. Let me suggest to you that it took courage on the part of Moses to go before Pharaoh and say to him, Hey, Pharaoh, you know those three million Israeli slaves that you have? You know the ones that are doing all the work? Well, you're going to have to figure out something else. You're going to have to figure out another way to get all of your work done because I'm leaving and, and they're all coming with me. How many know it takes courage to change? And how much courage do you think that the Apostle Paul had to have to stand up in front of the religious leaders of his day and say, Hey, fellas, uh, you know the law, you know, <laughs> The one we all know so much about. You know the law. You know all the rules and the regulations and all the requirements. We're going to change all that. Yeah, yeah, we're going to change all that. And I'm going to be instituting a new way of doing things. I've got a brand new message that I want all of us to start preaching and all of us to start teaching. I'm introducing a brand new doctrine. It's called grace. Do you think it took a lot of courage for Paul to preach this different message? Change. It takes courage to bring it about. When you think of courage, you are inclined to think of the fearless. 
You think of somebody that has courage. You're thinking of somebody that is fearless. Uh, oh, we say something like, he's so courageous. He's not afraid of anything, man. He's willing to take the bull by the horns. Nothing scares him. But friend, courage is not the absence of fear, but courage is the willingness to do something in spite of your fears. God has called me and asked me to do some incredible things in my life. He's asked me to leave some very comfortable situations and go to some very uncomfortable situations. And I want to tell you, it wasn't because I was so bold and it wasn't, I'm going to tell you, I was scared to death. I was frightened beyond means. Courage, amen, is not the absence of fear, but even though I'm afraid and even though I'm fearful and oh, even though this makes me anxious, I, a courage says I'm still going to do it. I'm going to do it in spite of my fear. Carl Barth, a, a, a famous Swiss theologian, said courage is, is fear that has said its prayers. Leadership guru John Maxwell said one person with courage is a, is a majority. When Moses died and God told Joshua to take his place in Joshua chapter 1, God told Joshua no less than four times, no less than four times in one chapter, God told Joshua the very same thing. He said, be strong and very courageous. Four times, four times. He didn't tell him once. He didn't tell him twice. He didn't tell him three times. Four times God told him to have courage. You see, God knew that it would take a lot of courage in Joshua, on Joshua's part to take the place of Moses. His leadership style would, would be different than the leadership style of Moses. And it would be a change for the people. And because that it would be a change for the people, God said, it's going to take courage, amen, to see it come about. Let me ask you a personal question this morning. Do you have enough courage to change? Do you have enough courage to change? You see, the word change is not just, I, I don't think it's, not, it's just for New Bethel as a spiritual family unit as a whole, but I believe it also applies to all of us individually as individual family members as well. I believe change is coming for New Bethel. I believe that God is going to make some changes, amen, in the way we do things around here in the coming year. But I want to tell you that not only is God going to bring change about in a corporate manner in all of us, but I believe individually that God is calling individually each and every one one of us to make some changes in our lives. What is it that God wants to change in your life? Maybe you've got a habit and you've carried it long enough and God said, this is the year I want to see change. I want you to see you put that habit down. I want to see you get victory over that this year. Maybe it's a bad attitude that you've carried around. Maybe it's that chip on your shoulder. It's time for when somebody knocks the chip off to leave it off. Amen. And this is the year to see change happen in your life. Maybe there's a marriage issue. Maybe there's a moral issue. I ask you this morning, Morning, do you have courage uh, to make the change? We're making an acrostic with the word change this morning. 2010 will be a year for change. Let's prepare ourselves for it so we won't be caught off guard when it comes. For the letter C in this word change, we're using uh, this acrostic of the word change. I'm using the word courage. For the H this morning, I'm using the word Hindrances. Hindrances. There will always be hindrances to change. Amen? People are inclined to resist change. 
and especially in the church. (laughs) In fact, the sad truth is that the church is usually the last place that change occurs. Are things changing in your, on your jobs? How many of you that work, is, it, is your work different than it was 10 years ago? Is it different than it was five years ago? It's probably going to be different this coming year than it was last year. You that have kids, uh, are, are things changing around your house? When you go to the grocery store or Walmart or the mall, are things changing? Amen. You know, some of you can't even, you know, you don't even know what to do with your TV. It changes so fast. You don't know, you know. It's, it's, it's nuts, isn't it? It's crazy. I mean, you've got to have your, grand, your grandchild come over and program your television, the remote. The church is usually the last place where change occurs. In fact, by the time that most churches make a change in a certain area, it's already time to change again. (laughs) Did you know, fact, did you know that when hymns were first introduced to the church, that they were rejected, amen, and the preachers that were presenting them were criticized, amen, for introducing them to the church? And some of the old hymns were old bar tunes with Christian words added to them. Did you know that when pastors first started wearing neckties, they were criticized and called worldly by the church? Did you know that? It's funny. We reject and criticize something new. And then we accept it. And then we begin to love it. And then we criticize and complain when somebody suggests we stop doing it. Criticizing and complaining when somebody suggests we stop doing the very same thing we first rejected. No wonder only 10% of full-time ministers who begin in ministry end in ministry. Only 10%. Only 10% of full-time ministers who begin, finish in ministry. We're talking about hindrances to change this morning. Let me suggest three hindrances to change. First of all is preference. Preference. You see, seldom does a church split. Seldom does a pastor have to leave the church because of a doctrine or a moral issue. Hardly ever. Oh, it happens, but in small, a very small percentage compared to the whole. Most churches that fuss, most churches that squabble, they do it over trivial things, simply over preference. 
They fuss, they fight, they squabble, they kick the preacher out, they, 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 they split over preference. Like, like what time does church start? Let's see, what time should we start? Didn't find it. If you can't find it in here, it doesn't matter. For 50 years, for 50 years, Sunday school started at 9.30 or 9.45. In fact, we used to sing about it. 9.45 sharp, 9.45 sharp. See you in Sunday school at 9.45 sharp. How many remember that one? You remember that one? Well, I was raised in Oklahoma. For 50 years, Sunday school started at 9.30 or 9.45. Morning worship started at 10.30 or 10.45. Why? Was there a reason why we started at 9.30 or 9.45? Sunday school, 10.30, 10.45, 11 o'clock for morning worship. Was there a reason for it? Absolutely there was a reason for it. There's always a reason. At the beginning... But once something starts, it's like it's Bible or something. (laughs) The reason why most churches started Sunday school at 9.30 or 9.45, and by the way, most still do. And the reason was when this time was established, America was a rural country. Fifty years ago, America was a rural country. Most people either lived in the country or lived on small farms or lived in small towns. And so every morning, people had to milk the cow. They had to feed the chickens. They had to gather the eggs. They had to slop the hogs. And so by the time that you gave the farmer or the rural person time to feed the chickens and gather the eggs and slop the hogs and milk the cow and, and, and all of the chores that they had to do by the time, that all, it was about mid-morning. And so you could start Sunday school about 9.30, 9.45 in the morning because it made sense. Guess what? America is no longer a rural country. We got cityfied. And the country folk don't even slop hogs anymore. My father in law lived on the same ranch in, in Oklahoma for, for 45 years. He still works on that ranch. Now they live in a little town and he drives out every day. Over 50 years he's been on that same ranch. And my kids were little, we'd go to the farm, but the only difference between their place and our place was it was nowhere, it was out in the boonies, nothing around it. Because they didn't milk a cow, they didn't feed a chicken, they didn't slop a hog. It's big time ranching, big time farming. Nobody here today had to milk a cow, feed a chicken, 
And the only pig I fed today was me. And yet, and yet in most churches, World War III would break out if the pastor suggested changing the time of Sunday school or changing the time of church. I know what I'm talking about. I'm no rookie. One of the reasons I was interested in coming to Bethel, and it wasn't your facility, and it sure wasn't your money. In fact, there were very little things that was really a drawing card. But there was one thing, there was one, there were more than one, but one of the reasons I was interested in coming to Bethel was because you had Sunday school at 5 o'clock in the evening. Not that I was so excited about going to Sunday school at 5 o'clock in the evening. That's not the point. It was because you were willing to do something different. You were willing to change. Now, I understood later. I heard that some some of you came kicking and screaming. (laughs) I didn't know that. But you still did it, amen. And some of you that were kicking and screaming, you're still here, amen. And if I want to change Sunday school now from five to something else, you'll probably kick and scream again. (laughs) Come on now. We're talking about hindrances to change this morning. The first is preference. What time does church start? What color do we paint the walls? Oh, what programs do we have? Preference. Oh, listen, this is another area where World War III could break out in the church if you begin to mess with the programming of the church. But let me tell you what happens. Here's what happens. God births an idea into somebody's heart. God gives a burden for a certain area to somebody. And they develop a program. And it's wonderful. Oh, it's effective and God is blessing it. But time goes by. And the person that initiated the program, the person that had uh, uh, birthed the program uh, uh, either dies or moves away or whatever. And so somebody else is elected or appointed and somebody else begins to take over and, and they didn't birth the program. And they don't have the same intensity. They don't have the same sense of urgency that the person that birthed the program had. They do the very best that they can. They do all that they can. But oh, oh eventually they lose interest. And about this time the program is gasping for air. Oh, it can barely survive. Oh, somebody else is put in there and somebody tries to give it CPR. And tries to give CPR to that program. I mean, you wouldn't want it to die because it was once so good. Oh, Pastor, if you only remember how it was. Pastor, if you only saw it in its heyday. Pastor, you only see it now. If you could only see the way it was. Oh, we can't let it die. It was once so good. Yes, once when God was in it. Amen. God was in it. He, it was His will. It was, it was His baby. He birthed it and He was in it. But listen, friend, He's into something else now. And uh, He's into something else altogether. Uh, amen. He's not in that at all. Here we are trying to breathe life in an old program. Here we are trying to give CPR to something. Amen. And everybody knows it's dead. Uh, amen. But because it was good in the past, it's got to be good now. And surely it can be good again. And God isn't nowhere around. Ricky, go get me that bulletproof vest in my, in my <laughs> office, please. <clears throat> and 
And besides that, each new generation has their own idea. See, that's what bothers I don't, you know, I don't want to cause World War III here, and we've already passed that here, but that was one thing that I just can't understand about the, the singing issue, you know, the you know, hymns or, or choruses or whatever. It's, you know, if God spoke 200 years ago, can't he speak again today? Amen. Can't he speak again today? And if God birthed the program 50 years ago, amen, can't God birth a new one today? Amen. And, and every generation has their own idea and their own way of doing things. Some of you people give your kids such fits about the way they wear their hair or the clothes that they wear. Get out the album. I'm 17 years old, I'm pastoring a church, and I'm wearing high heels. I got platform shoes that are that high. Did you wear them, Mark? I got on plaid pants with bell bottoms that are about that big. I got a white belt about that wide. It'd be in style today. I'm wearing white patent leather shoes. Ooh, I'm styling, man. I got sideburns all the way down to my chin. Every, every generation has their own ideas. When I was a little boy, I, I always wanted a little red wagon. Always wanted a little red wagon when I was a little boy. I'd go to my cousin. He had a little red wagon. Man, you could do everything with that little red wagon. Man, he lived out on the farm, so we could use it, you know, to haul our grain around, or we could use it, play like it was a, you know, put your one knee in it and push it, you know, how we used to do that, and that was my, that was my grain truck, you know, going to get grain or whatever for the cows, or, or then we'd play racing, you know, and we'd put somebody in it and push it, or, you know, we'd carry stuff. I mean, it just do all kinds, it's just versatile. I just wanted a red, little red wagon. I wanted a little red wagon, wanted a little red wagon. My whole life as a little boy, wanted a little red wagon. Never got a little red wagon. But I got me a little boy. Got me a little boy. Got me a little boy. My little boy comes into my life. His name's Chad. Chad gets to be a little boy. And I say, Chad, oh, Daddy's got some good news for you. Daddy's got some good news for you. Daddy's going to buy you a little red wagon, son. Daddy, gonna, I, Daddy, Your daddy never had a little red wagon, but you're going to have one. You, you're not going to be neglected like I would. No child abuse for you. You're getting a little red wagon. Son, you're going to get, how, Chad, how, we're going to go down to the store. We're going to get down to the store. Daddy's going to buy you a little red wagon. It's not your birthday. It's not Christmas. Amen. Just because your daddy loves you, daddy's going to buy you a little red wagon, daddy. Or Chad, oh, what do you think about that? Are you excited about daddy getting you a little red wagon? He said, no, daddy, I want a big wheel. I'm over already. What are some of the hindrances? To, when you get anointed, you really go a long time. Some of the hindrances to change. The first one is preference. The second one is power. The second one is power. Oh, oh we think if we change, I might lose my position. I have always been in charge of this. It's my seat, my parking space, my place on the platform, my title, my place, my position, my, my, my power. Hindrance to change. John Maxwell says you have to give up to go up. 
you have to give up to go up. What does he mean? Four years ago, some of us had to give up seeing our friends every Sunday when we went to two services. And I heard a few moans and a few groans. I won't get to see my friends anymore. Yes, you can. It's called Christian education, five o'clock. Four years ago, some of you had to give up seeing your friends every Sunday when we went to two services. But in doing so, we have doubled our attendance. I've got the numbers literally doubled our attendance. Amen. You've got to give up to go up. For years, I knew everybody's name in the church. I knew every kid's name and who they belonged to. Today, I know about 80, maybe 90% of people's names and their, who, the kids and who they belong to. With 450 people that call New Bethel their home and with people coming and going all the time, it's very, very difficult. Amen, but you've got to give up to go up. For 30 plus years, I conducted every, every wedding. I preached every funeral. I baptized every convert. I made every hospital call. I did all the counseling. I built all the buildings. I opened up and closed the church for every service. Listen, the church is at a place now where I can't do all of that. You've got to give up to go up. There once was a time when I was the only pastor on staff. So if somebody baked a pie for the pastor, it was mine. If somebody put a little extra offering in the plate and designated for the pastor, it was mine. I got it. Uh, Today, the pie might go to one of the staff members. Uh, Today, the designated gift might be for one of them. Uh, I've got to be willing to share the love and share the affection of the people with my staff. You've got to give up in order to go up. We're talking about hindrances to change. There are many. There's preference. There's power. And number three this morning, there's pride. If we could have the worship team get back up, I'll start closing. Pride. Many resist change simply because of pride. Well, we've always had such and such program at our church. Or it has always been done this way here. Or if you change it, you're saying we weren't doing it right. Pride. Hey, let me make you a, a bargain. If we make a change in some area and it doesn't work, we can always go back to what wasn't working before. Gene Tunney won the world heavyweight boxing title by defeating Jack Dempsey. Now, especially old time, but heavyweight boxers are, are brawlers. They're punchers. They overpower their opponents. Tunney was just like the rest. He was a brawler. He depended on on sheer strength and power. Something happened one day and Tunney broke both of his hands. And he could no longer deliver a knockout punch. What in the world is he going to do? Although heavyweight fighters pride themselves in their knockout power, Gene Tunney retrained himself. He changed his style. He learned how to become a skillful boxer, not just a puncher, not just a brawler, not just somebody that was tougher and meaner. 
and stronger than his opponent and could knock out his opponent. But he learned how to really be a skillful boxer to fight more like the light bo- lightweight boxers fought. To win by scoring more points than his opponents rather than delivering the traditional knockout punch. Pride could have caused Tunney to retire and hang up his gloves. But he put his pride aside and made the the changes necessary to not only allow him to keep on fighting, but allow him to become the heavyweight champion of the world, fighting a style and a manner and a way that no other heavyweight fighter had ever fought before. We're talking about change. I, I believe that the Lord has spoken to my heart this, this, for this coming year. I, I believe that, that 2010 is going to be a year for change. But it's going to take some courage on all of our parts to be willing to change. And we're going to be, have to get beyond those hindrances. If we're going to change. Well, just exactly what are you talking about, Pastor? I, I wish I could tell you. Well, how do you know? Well, I've just, I've just walked with God a long, long time. And I don't say God told me something if God didn't tell me something. And just this past week, someone in this church, not knowing about what was coming through what they said and what they did, was another confirmation that we're on the right path. We're on the right road. Change. We're going to stop right here this morning. We're going to, we're going to pick up where we left off today. We're going to pick up next Sunday and, and go on as far as the Lord would allow us for next Sunday. As I said a few moments ago, if if you knew change was coming in your life, you would begin to make preparation. Well, change is coming to New Bethel. And I believe that God wants us to take the next couple of weeks to prepare our heart, prepare our mind, amen, to prepare ourselves for the change that's coming. Yes, we know. We know in just a few short weeks. It'll just be a few short weeks, I'm convinced. And we'll have a, a brand new praise and worship leader in New Bethel. It'll be brand new. He'll be different. He won't be anything like Carl. Not because I went and tried to find somebody that wasn't like Carl. But because if God wanted somebody like Carl, he'd have left Carl in place. But God said, thank you, Carl, for seven years. Thank you, Carl, for where you've led this church. But God says, I want to take this church to a new level. I want to take it in a new direction. I want to do something new in it. And I want to do something new and fresh in your life as well. And so God said, Pastor Carl, I'm going to lead you to Destiny Church in Fort Worth. And I called Carl the other day. And I want to tell you, I've talked to Carl just about every day for the last seven years. But I heard something different in his voice when I talked to him. I heard life in his voice. I heard some joy in his voice that I hadn't heard in a while. Why? Because he listened to God and let God change and let God reroute him and let God take him in a new direction and let God open up a new avenue of ministry for him. Well, I want to tell you that it's going to be exciting as well. Yes, it's going to be difficult. Yes, it'll be hard. Yes, it'll be different in some ways. But I want to tell you that uh, that change can also be very exciting. Uh, Oh, it can be awesome and incredible. Uh, Amen. I don't know about you, but I'm open to what God wants for us in the coming year. Would you stand to your feet this morning?
Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Oh, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Come here, Oh, yes, Lord. Breathe life into thee.